me all right do you have that one are you able to do that one he touched me for us if not we'll use the other one okay i'm certainly glad to be in god's house tonight amen that's been good already amen what a great song ladies that was a powerful song Good stuff.
spot we have to do that again after all the touching he's done amen well we're certainly glad to have with us tonight brother ricky moon and again he is uh he's just a fireball of a preacher and he's a fireball of a christian he loves the lord jesus christ and you know what he's not showy it's just who he is boy we're certainly glad he could be here tonight and he's going to proclaim the word of god and he's just going to let it rip and we're certainly excited about what God has in store for us. Open your hearts, your minds, and just let God speak. Brother Moon, you come preach for us, would you please? Brother Keith got me on. Oh, good. You never know about that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've left him alone. Brother Steve, where's he at? He went out to take a smoke? Oh, there he is. I mean, as I was coming in, he was going out, and he had his pack out, and he was, he was picking one out. I haven't said I haven't given him a hard time all week. All so far, I, this third service, I hadn't said a word about it. I hadn't forgotten about you. <laughs> There's more in store, but uh, and of course, Brother Keith, what can we say? I, there's not much you can say, but most of it's bad if you say it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I mean this, Brother Keith. For all the people I've ever met in my life, I mean this all my heart. You're one of them. All right, <laughs> I mean that too. <laughs> Thank God there's only one key. <laughs> I shouldn't be giving those guys a hard time. They can cut me on and off, can't they? <laughs> no. They didn't really cut me off. Oh, please, guys. I was just kidding. 
Oh, my. Hey, great to see you here tonight. Thank you. By the way, if you're visiting from another church and you're here, would you raise your hand? God bless you. Good. good. All right, good. Great to have you. I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm glad that you came to. I know you got busy schedules and to come out on a Monday night when you're busy as you are. I appreciate it. I'm honored that you came apart tonight. I know preacher I think feels the same way. But it's great to have you all here tonight. And uh, I know Monday night's always a tough night when you have revival. But we've got a good crowd. We really do, and I appreciate you being here tonight. And uh, I, I uh, you know, um, I was um, praying and asking God this morning and uh, just about some things and some th- errors in my life and my family. And uh, one of our good friends, <coughs> he's a deacon at uh, Roanoke Baptist Church, and I was I served there for 16 years. His wife died yesterday morning of a heart attack, and uh, I called him this morning and and just thanked him for uh, and told him how much I loved him and how sorry I was. I, I can't empathize with him because my wife's still alive, uh, and so I talked to him for a few minutes and told him I appreciated the investment that his wife, he and his wife, made in my children, as, uh, and uh, several things they did that I won't share with you for sake of time, but. I just wanted to let him know how much I loved him and appreciate him and told him I'm praying for you if there's anything I do not know. I want to go to the funeral if I get a chance, but I'm not sure when it's going to be and I may not have an opportunity. And then I called his uh, youngest son, which was in my youth department, Mitch, and I can sympathize with him and empathize with him because I lost my mom when I was in my 20s. He's in, he's in his 40s, but I was in my 20s when I lost my mom. I was 17 when I lost my dad. And so it's easy for me to sympathize with people like that because I know what, it, what you feel like. I know what they're going through. And I prayed with him on the phone and talked to him for a few minutes. And then I called the oldest son, which was not in my youth department, but his wife was in my youth department. And I talked to him for a good while and just told him I loved him. And in the midst of all that, my heart was tender. And uh, God just began to stir my heart. And uh, I, I, I believe with all my heart, I know how it is as a dad, how you want your children to do. And I understand the heartbreak. You know, sometimes I read the story of the prodigal son, and I, I see the dad standing out every day looking to see if his boy is coming home, wondering, is my boy coming home? And, uh, and, and, and obviously he was doing that because the Bible says he saw him afar off. And when he saw him, he ran to meet him. And so he had to be looking. You, you don't see someone afar off unless you're looking for somebody afar off. And so I, in my mind, Again, if you're a preacher here and I'm messing the scripture up, don't, don't correct me tonight. Would you wait until after the service and say something? <laughs> don't stand up like the gentleman did yesterday and correct me and try to help me preach. No, I'm just teasing. He's here somewhere. But anyway, he was, I was teasing. I actually had him to do it and then fussed at him after he did it. But uh, didn't I? Yeah, bless you. There you are on the back row. He moved from the front row to the back row. Tomorrow he'll be out there in the lobby. <laughs> I'm just teasing. He won't be either. I don't think. <laughs> he may be. He may get up and leave in a minute. I don't know. But, you, you know, uh, I believe that he's looking for him every day. I believe from the time he left to the time he came back, he's looking. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, so don't, 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 don't rip me, all right? Let me think that. But I really believe that. And, uh, you know, over the years, there's one thing about it as I get older I've learned. You learn things when you get older. It, it, for no other reason, it just happens and you see it. 
There's things I know now that I didn't know when I was 25. There's things I know now that I didn't know when I was 35. There's things I know now that I didn't know when I was 45. And if there's one thing I've learned in the ministry, and I've watched children go bad, I've watched people go out, leave the ministry, pastors, workers, their children. I've watched church members that were involved quit. And over the years, I've watched that. And I've tried my best to beg God and to analyze, why is it that they leave? And I don't know all the answers, but I think I know three of the answers why they do and why people struggle and have hardships and why they don't have revival in their life. In the next three nights, I want to give you those three, one, one each night. And tonight, I'm going to start with the first one I want to give you. Take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I enjoy having fun. I really do. Sometimes I, I cut up too much, even in the pulpit, like cutting up with him. I, I don't even know him that well, and here I am giving him, teasing him and stuff. You know, I may have hurt his feelings, and I didn't know it. And if I do, if I cut up with you, uh, Keith, if I hurt your feelings, let it go, Bo. Get over it. <laughs> Buckle up. Be a man. You got that strong beard game. Hey, come on. Be strong. But, but for the rest of you, normal humans. Uh, if I say something joking like that, I, I don't mean to offend you. If I do, please forgive me. That's not my purpose. I, I, I don't offend people ever on purpose. I just like to cut up and have fun and play. And so please forgive me if I do that when I'm cutting up with you. But my heart is broken when I see these things happening in our churches. And you've been around as long as the ministry, as long as I have. You've seen a lot of people go astray. And a lot of people quit. A lot of people who were just, they were, I mean, and then God let me work in a college and watch young people come in with so much talent and so many abilities with supposedly the call of God on their life and to watch them fall by the wayside like flies. You know, that, that's heartbreak. It really just tears you up. And you, in fact, you go back and you, you, you inspect, God, was there something I, did I say something? Could I have done something differently? Could I have made some changes? Maybe they had a heartache and I didn't catch it. I was insensitive and I, I wasn't letting the Holy Spirit teach me to be sensitive to their needs. And I, I missed it because I need to be sensitive to their needs. And I really, I wondered, is there an area where I, have I made mistakes? Did I, did, did I do something wrong? And sometimes we feel that way. As, as a pastor, assistant pastor, our Sunday school teacher, our bus worker, our parent. And, but I know this. I know there's several reasons why people leave us and why they don't stay, why they don't stick. And I want to share one with you today. And I want, it's more of a warning. And if you're involved in some of this, maybe you'll make some changes. But stand with me, please. I'm going to read out loud. Let me get my glasses on. I'm going to read out loud a couple of verses here. I'm going to start in verse 14 for sake of time and read through verse 17. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have, I'm sorry, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abideth in you. Not like this. And you have overcome the wicked one. That's not the message, but I'm going to throw in an extra. The word of God was abiding in him, and he overcome the wicked one. Now, why in the world do we get away from the word of God? knowing that that helps us overcome the wicked one. 
It just don't make sense, does it? But the first thing we do as Christians is quit our Bible. One of the first things. This is not the message, but I'm going to throw in an extra. Three, three first things that people quit in the Christian life. They quit going soul winning, they quit reading their Bible, and they quit coming to church. They don't go soul winning. They don't tell people about Jesus anymore. They quit praying, talking to God. And they quit coming to church and, and just and, and reading their Bible. Those four things. But three main ones is before they quit church, they quit the they quit they quit soul winning, they quit praying, and they quit the Bible. And those ought to be the elementary first things they do. I got saved, and the first thing is when next day went and bought me a brand new Bible. And prayed. Next thing it is, went to work the next day and told a guy, guess what? I got saved yesterday. You need to do it too. I mean, so went in prayer. And, and you, do you think these things would be elementary? But I won't have a hand today. I won't have a hand raising. How much time have you spent in the Word of God in the last week? I won't, I won't have that. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I won't say how many times, how many people have you given the gospel to in some form or fashion in the last month. I won't do that because it would be embarrassing to some of you. And, and I won't ask how many of you walked with, have prayed, been on your knees before God at least for some time during the day, the last day or yesterday. I won't ask that because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But preach, that's the first things we quit. It's the easiest things to do, seemingly, but the hardest things to do. That's not the message, but we'll get to that later, right? Look what he says. Verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And let's pray. Holy Spirit, help me, please. You know, I prayed much and I begged you. And if you don't meet with us, this evening will be a waste of time. So please, 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 I beg you, meet with us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's no bigger heartbreak than the prodigal son had when his son left. There's no bigger heartbreak for a pastor than one of his key people leave the church and leave after he's invested in them. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn back over from your, your in 1 John. Turn back uh, a good little piece, so back over to 2 Timothy. Paul is at the last of his life. He gives us that great exhortation, the charge there, like a military charge at I charge thee, verse 1, is a military term. Preach a word. I like, we like that. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhorting, with all along our suffering and doctrine. I used to tell the preacher boys, look, man, you ought to be like instant preachers. Man, pour water on you and you can preach in a moment, brother. Have a sermon ready to go. Be instant. And he says here, preach your word, be instant in season, out of season. And he gives that charge. Then he said, because time's going to come when people won't endure sound doctrine. They won't. After their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear so I don't want to hear. If I don't want to hear it, I'm not going to stay in that church. And they turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. 
Then he says, but watch out all things. Endure affliction. It's coming. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. And he says, for I am now ready to be offered in my time of departure to him. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Now look at this. Then he says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly to me. Now look at verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me. And notice the next few words. Having loved this present world. He forsook me. Why did Demas leave? Why in the world did Demas leave Paul? Here he is with one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. Just looking at the work. He saw the power of God. He saw miracles. And, and, and all those things that you would normally think he would have seen, he saw them. But why did he leave? Look what it says. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. He left me. He departed. He's gone. Why in the world is Demas gone? Because he loved this present world. You know what the problem with most of our churches is? There's more of the world in the church today than there used to be in the world when we were young kids. And that's what the problem is. We have become a worldly church. There's no holiness. There's no separation. There's no thus saith the Lord, that's wrong, I shouldn't do it. It's like, well, you know, I mean, it's not as bad as what so-and-so's doing. But does that make it right? Does because so-and-so does it. Well, I know a preacher and he allows this, so it must be okay. I don't determine what I believe based on what pastor so-and-so does. I, believe, I, I do and believe what I believe because of what God said. And Jesus said, be ye holy, even as I am also holy. And what we've done, we've got away from that. We got to the point where whatever feels good, we just do it. And you know that was the big thing in the 60s. If it feels good, do it. But the truth is, we're basically doing the same thing in the 2015. If it feels good. I don't care what the pastor says. Does he think he's the Lord over the church? When did he become my Lord? He's not your Lord. The Lord's your Lord. In some cases, because the Lord means he's your master. And a master has a right to tell you what time to go to bed, what time to get up, what to, what to eat, what not to eat, how you're to live, how you're to dress, all of it. The Lord has a right to tell you that. And this book has some pretty good outlines for it. And what we've done, we've let the world creep into the churches. And it's okay now. Let's be honest. Preachers are afraid to stand up and preach dress standards anymore. They're afraid they'll empty their church out. Well, that'll go over like a lead balloon. They're afraid to stand up and preach against personal convictions. They're afraid they won't have anybody left to preach to. It's because we're so stinking worldly. And we wonder why we don't have enough power to blow the fuzz off of a peach. I'll tell you why we don't have enough power to blow the fuzz off a peach. Because we're so stinking worldly. We live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world. And we wonder why. We're in, look, if it looks like a duck, acts like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. 
If it looks like the world, talks like the world, dresses like the world, and acts like the world, it's probably worldly. Demons forsook me. Why? Why did he forsake me? Paul said, let me tell you why demons left me. Because he loved this present world. One of the problems, listen to me, teenagers. Hey, listen to me this evening. One of the problems being raised in a good Christian home, having parents that love you and sacrifice for you and have poured their life into you. They love you as much as they love life itself. You listen to me. They love you as much as they love life itself. There's not a parent in this room that really loves their kids that wouldn't be willing to stand up and say, God, it's, if it's my, me or my child, take me. I'll, I'll, I'll die at the drop of a hat for my child, and I'll drop the hat. You, here's what you say. Well, they didn't let me do anything like everybody else. They didn't let you do anything because they didn't want you pregnant outside of wedlock, young lady. They didn't let you do anything because they didn't want you to become a drug addict, sir, young man. They didn't let you do anything because he's trying to keep you out of the world. But the world has so infiltrated our lives with television, media, all the media stuff and all the Facebooking and all the... And I'm not against Facebooking. Don't get... Don't, yeah, brother, man, I don't think that's wrong. I don't give a rip if you think it's wrong. Not, now, I don't have Facebooking. I don't Facebook. I'm not against it. I just don't do it. If you spend as much time talking to God, trying to keep people out of hell, studying your Bible as you did on a Facebook, there's no telling what kind of Christian you'd be. Amen. Take that and chew on it for a while. <laughs> we, it's the truth, preacher. We spend so much time telling everybody what we just did. I went to the restroom. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. I planted flowers. Wonderful. Thank God you planted flowers. You and I both know a lot of people do that. It's crazy. People post stuff on Facebook that I wouldn't, I wouldn't post in a private room. You know why? Because we're worldly. Demas hath forsaken me. Why in the world did Demas forsake me? Because he loved the world. That's bottom line. He loved the world. You can slice it and dice it any way you want to, but it all comes out the same. He loved the world. Why are we losing our kids? Because they love the world. Why are we losing members out of the church? Because they love the world. They just... They're attracted. There's such an attraction to what the world has to offer. The devil sells us a wooden nickel, and it looks so good. He's so, de- he's so deceptive in how he does it, and we fall for it hook, line, and sinker. Preachers that used to would not allow, uh, would, would have said, if you heard country music, they'd say, country music, that's stuff, that's stuff, stuff of the devil. Now they're singing it in their church, and they just put Jesus with it. How many remember when, we was, when I was young, some of you were young, they did the back masking on rock music? How many remember that? Anybody? Back masking is where you took the thing and you played it backwards. They took country music and played it backwards, and the guy got back his wife, his dog, his house. <laughs> okay. You got to know what back masking is, or that don't make any sense. That's all right, Brother Moon. You don't make any sense anyway. That's probably true, but that was the wrong time to say Amen. amen. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, back masking, you could hear it and hear it backwards, right? Anyway. 
So you get it when you're back to mass country. You get all that stuff back. All right, anyway. Guys that used to say, that rock music's of the devil. Now they have rock bands in their pulpit. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they want to be like the world. Well, let me say something to you young preachers on this town. Don't you go away from what this pastor set up all these years. Now, I'm not joking with y'all now. I'm as serious as a heart attack on me, and that's serious, being how I've had one, and I have a defibrillator pacemaker right here in my chest. A heart attack's very serious. Don't, I'm as serious as a heart attack on me. Don't you ever change what this man's tried to do. Well, yeah, but brother, there's modern things. Yeah, it's called the Word of God. Yesterday, to Jesus. Same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not saying you don't use modern technology. I'm not against modern technology. I have a cell phone. I have, a, I have an iPad. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about don't you change the principles that this church was built on and you try to change it in undercurrents. And by the way, if you're a Sunday school teacher, don't do it either. Yeah, but if we did, we could get more people. It's not people's not what you're trying to do. The will of God's what you're trying to do. We're not trying to build the biggest church. We're trying to be the holiest we can and please the God of the universe and bring glory and honor to his name. Numbers come naturally when we do what we ought to do. They're an after effect of it. The fruit of it. Well, you know, I would go sow in him. But, you know, if you go sow in him, it just don't work today like it did 20 years ago. I know it don't, honey, because you don't tell anybody about Jesus. That's why it doesn't work. Aha, open your mouth and tell somebody that Jesus loves them. That there's a hell to be missed and a heaven to be gained. You're not going to keep people out of hell doing this. But Brother Moon, I'm, being a, I'm using lifestyle evangelism. I know that's why they saw you going into the liquor store. You were lifestyling them. That's why they saw you hanging around the book part where they have Playboy magazine. You were really lifestyling them, weren't you? That's why they saw you and your wife at, each, at odds at each other in the yard, uh, calling each other all kind of names and, and threatening each other. You're lifestyling them, all right? I do believe in lifestyle evangelism. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But most people believe in lifestyle evangelism, live like the devil, and then say they believe in lifestyle evangelism. That's just the truth. Take it any way you want to take it, slice it any way you want to slice it. It's just the truth. What we need to do is get back to opening our mouth and telling people there's a God in heaven that loves them. Well, people just don't receive that anymore. They don't unless you give it. I mean, I haven't received a $50 bill from anybody in this room yet tonight. But you offer and watch me. Yeah. Brother Moon, you had not received a 50 and a 100. No, not even a 20. I hadn't even received a 5. But yeah, I get you offer, and I'll show you. And let me tell you this, too. I'll tithe on it, too. Except I'll tithe at Shawnee, because that's where I go. <laughs> let me tell you something. What we've done is we've fallen to the devil's prey. Look what he says. Here's the declaration, number one. He says, in second, going back to second, I'm first John chapter 2. Here it is. Here's the command, if you would. He declares it with a command. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It is a command from the Word of God. And God declares, love not the world. 
So if you're in love with the world and hanging around the world doing worldly stuff, what you need to do now is find your way to this aisle, get on your face before God and ask God to forgive you, cleanse you, and change it. He says, the declaration is, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And we're so wrapped up in the things of the world, we don't have time for the things of God. And that is the truth. I love sports. One of the biggest things we're wrapped up in is sports. I didn't make a dime off the, the guys that got in the Final Four, nor did I gamble on it. I know this, if you're going to gamble on who's going to win it, do not go to Vegas and gamble on the Kentucky Wildcats because they're five to six odd, which means if you, you bet $6,000, you would win $5,000. Even I got that figured out. That's a dumb way to do it. <laughs> bet on the eight to one. $1,000, you get 8000 back, or $1 and get eight back. If you're going to gamble, at least gamble on one, you got a chance of winning some money. Don't gamble on once you're going to lose. If you, I mean, if they win, you lose. That's stupid, isn't it? They win, you lose. Right? The command is love not the world. We're wrapped up in the sports. Well, Junior's got to be in the league, and I've got to watch him. I don't have time for church. That can go over like a lead balloon, won't it? Well, let me tell you, what are you teaching Junior? Sports is more important than God? My Bible says, I shall have no other gods before thee. Well, I don't believe that's having a God before me. Doesn't matter to me what you believe. I'm just telling you, you just made that your God because you replaced God. Anything that replaces God becomes a God. And we do it and don't even think twice about it. And if the preacher says one thing, we get mad. And tonight you're going to be mad at me because I said it. Well, I'll leave the church and go somewhere else. I know, and be worldly there just like you are here. And wonder why you don't have the power of God on your life. And why? And by the way, when your when your your mama or your child's laying in the hospital and you're trying to pray them through, you ain't gonna have no power to get a hold of God and ask Him. You better call somebody that's right with God, because you're not gonna get through. Chew on that in a while. You're not. Boy, if your your baby's laying between, and I've had it there, and your baby's lying between life and death. All at once, you want to know God. Is that ball game worth it? Is sports worth it? Is this? No, none of those things are important. None of those things are important. All that's important is my baby. But yet we turn him over to the world and say, okay, go ahead. Participate in everything in the world and leave God out. And then God wants to pull us out when it, there's a problem. God, pull me out of this mess you got me in. No, sir, God didn't get you in that mess. You got you in that mess. The declaration, love not the world and things in the world. Notice, notice this. Look at, look at that verse again. And he says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father. Look at the concern. You're going to have trouble truly loving the Father and the world at the same time because you're going to choose which one you're going to love. And that's why our love for God has, has gone so bad. That's why I'm going to get up and say, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. We don't really mean it. Because he said, if you love me, finish it. Keep. Wow. That's Bible too. Then if you don't keep his commandments, obviously you don't love him. That's just one and one makes two. Sunrise and east sits in the west. Heaven's high, hell's low. And you die, which way will you go? I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. And yet, we love the world. He says, don't do it. Then he says this. I see the description of the world. For all is in the world. And then he gives us a description. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. 
Now, I want you to notice something. He describes what the world is. What is it? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Now, let, let me give you a little bit of a, just a small, and you already know this, but for just humor me, all right? I'm going to give you a little Bible study here, man. Take your Bibles and turn over to Genesis chapter 3 in your King James Bible. If you have a Thompson Chain reference, it will be page number 3. If you have a uh, Queen James Bible like uh, Brother Steve does, it, I have no idea what it is. You have to ask him. Get with him later. He'll tell you. I told you I wasn't done. All right. Anyway. <laughs> now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts which, is in the, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Which, by the way, God didn't say. She exaggerated. Number four, verse four. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Oh, good and evil. You want to know that. Now watch this, verse 6. And when the woman, notice the next word, saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. Number 2. And that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And the tree to be desired to make one wise pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now go to Matthew chapter number chapter number four. Matthew chapter number four. And look at this. Verse one. Then was Jesus led up the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterwards was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Lust of the flesh. But it's written. It is written, he answered. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the devil take him into the high city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give thee his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. It is written, I shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Look, I'm going to give you things. You're going to be somebody. Look what God can do for you. Look. You see, here's, here's, oh, let me read that. And again, the devil take him to the city high mountain, showeth him the king of the world, and said to him, and saith unto him, all those things which I give you, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And he said, give thee hints. Jesus said to him, give thee hints. Uh, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Here's what he had. He dealt with four, three areas. He dealt with the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of flesh. Look, just like Eve did. So how did Satan get Eve to fall? Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and pride of life. How did Satan try to get Jesus to fall? Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and pride of life. Go to James chapter number 4. From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come down to hints of your lust 
which one you remember? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have a kind of You fight more, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume upon your lust. Your adultery, adultery. Know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whosoever be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Hold on a minute. The world? He's talking about the world again. And he just prefaced that by saying lust. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. The lust. Look what he says right here. I believe he's talking about the lust of the flesh in the first one. Now look down in verse number uh, 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he said to them, God resists the proud, but giveth grace in the humble. What is it? Pride of life. Now let's move over. Verse, I got for a second time, verse number 12. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that thou answers another? Go to now and say, this, uh, today, if you, uh, uh, today or tomorrow will we go into such a city and can there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Lust the eyes. I'm going to get things for me. Everything I see. You know what? When it was Satan versus the devil. I mean, he is the devil. If it was, when it was Satan versus Eve, it was lust, flesh, lust, eyes, pride, life. When it was Jesus versus the devil, it was lust, lust, flesh, lust, eyes, pride, life. When it was the, just anybody, any of us, it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So here's the deal. You know what the world is? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's his description. I go back and read to you. I didn't write this. Love not the world, neither things in the world. If you man love the world, love falls not in. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Satan's still using the same tricks he's used all along because it works. We don't do that in our life. Old-fashioned. Hey, let me give you this to read. Used to work. But now we say that doesn't work. But yet, Satan still uses the same techniques he used to use. Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and pride of life. So I see the, I see the, the, the declaration he says, I command you in the concern. And then I see the fact that he has the description. But watch this. Then he gives the destination. There is an end. There is an end. Look what he says. And the world passes away. And the lust thereof. And the world passes away. And the lust thereof. See, the world will pass away. The will of God will last forever. But the world will pass away. And the lust will pass away. There is an end to all of it. I want to show you something. Take your Bible and uh, go to Mark chapter 4. And I'll, I'll shut this thing down here in just a few minutes. Of course, my few minutes are not real short minutes, but anyway, pray for me. In chapter 4 of Mark, we see this, the parable of the sower sowing his seed. Then, in verse 14, he explains what it is. And he says, The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside, which when the word is sown, but when they that have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their heart. And these are they that likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, excuse me, but had no root in them, in themselves, and so endure not time, after which when afflictions or persecution rises, for the world's sake, word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust 
of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Right? Take your Bible and turn over to Luke chapter number 8. The same parable written by Luke. Now, I'm not going to read all that for sake of time, but I want to start in verse 14. And that which fell among the thorns of they, which when they heard the word, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Now go over to Matthew chapter number 13. And I know I'm, I'm sending you there fast. Here's, here's Matthew talking about the parable of the sower. Look what he says. He's explained it like they did. He, verse 18, he thou for the parable of the sower. And, so on. and then he gets to verse number 22 and he says, He also that receiveth words among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now, I believe with all my heart that when people get saved, when they hear the word and they receive the word, they get saved. The Bible says that we're saved by the word. By the word of God as we apply it to our life, right? By faith, taking God's word and applying it to our life. Call upon Christ and receive him. And, uh, and, and so, it's the word of God that God uses to save us. It's the spirit of God uses the word of God to not only save us, but to transform our life after we're saved. I think most of you agree with me on that. All right? Watch this. I believe, I believe, that when the word's given and you receive it, as many as received him, they gave him gave he power to become sons of God. I believe they're saved. But the care, watch this. But the one that was sowed among the thorns was the ones who the cares of this life and the world caused them to become unfruitful people. And a lot of Christians are unfruitful because they've been carried away by the cares of this world and the riches of this world and they're very unfruitful in their Christian life because they let the world begin to dominate their life, their thinking, everything about them. Therefore, they are not being productive as a Christian. They don't win souls. They don't have their prayers answered. They don't have victory. I believe that even in the book of Hebrews, I think there's an illustration for the book of Hebrews. And I believe that when the children of Israel left the wilderness, and crossed the Red Sea, that was a picture of salvation. They couldn't go back if they wanted to go back. And some of them wanted to. Now, I don't believe everybody crossed the Red Sea was saved. Please don't misunderstand me. I think it was a picture. And I think when they got in the wilderness, they had a choice to go into the victorious Christian life when they crossed the, Red, crossed the Jordan River. But they did not obey God. And the Bible says they wandered in the wilderness until everybody was 20 years old and older died. There was two, two results of staying in the wilderness, death and defeat. And they were defeated Christians who never was able to do anything. That's what this picture of. And I believe there's a lot of Christians who live in the wilderness. They've never taken that step and said, God, okay. Because they're so wrapped up in the world that they're a defeated Christian. And they say, I pray, but the windows of heaven's like brass. I can't get through. Maybe it's because you got so much of the world in you, you can't get a hold of God. And we're so wrapped up in the things of the world that it's destroying our kids, 
It's just torn our churches. It's just torn our church members. And now we've got churches that have gone to contemporary services. I mean, some of you older fellas, and maybe you've been around for a while, remember one of the famous churches in, this, in Louisville, Kentucky? Does anybody remember what it was called? Anybody know? There was a famous church in Louisville for a long time, Beth Haven Baptist Church, Dr. Tom Wallace. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Did you know that today there is no Beth Haven Baptist Church? There's another church that was big in that city called Metro Baptist. Do you know there is no more Metro Baptist? Do you know the church that Brother Reno Likens got saved that Faith Baptist was a big church at one time? Do you know there is no Faith Baptist Church? Because the last preacher, pastor there took, and the, one of the last things he did was he had a studio for teaching square dancing in it where the auditorium was. You know how that happened, young men and young ladies, and older men and older ladies? Because they let the world come in, that's why. Where's their fruitfulness? It's gone. Where's all those people got saved years ago? Where, where, what's happening now? How come they're not getting people saved anymore? Oh, I know why. Because everybody in Louisville saved, that's why. Are you kidding me? I know why people don't get saved like they used to, Brother Moon, because everybody, we, we done reached everybody. Are you fooling yourself? When I first got out of college, Brother House sent me to Chattanooga, Tennessee. If the South is a Bible belt, Chattanooga was a buckle on the belt. And I went sewing. The first six months I was there, here's what I did every day. Hi, my name's Ricky Moon. I'm from Trinity Baptist Church. It was hard to find anybody that wouldn't save in Chattanooga because of the influence of Dr. Robertson and the school and the other good churches that was there. There are more churches. In, at one time, back in the, in the early 80s, there was more churches in Baptist, independent Baptist churches in Chattanooga, Tennessee, than there was churches in the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, and the state of, uh, of uh, another state there. I forget which one it is. There were three states. I'm talking about any kind of church. There was more churches in the city limits, of independent Baptist churches in the city limits of Chattanooga than there was any kind of church in all those three states put together. I mean, you go down here on the corner and go to the next corner, there's an independent Baptist church. And go around the corner and go to the next corner, there's another independent Baptist church. Yeah, I know I lived there. I knocked on doors. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. I go to so-and-so Baptist church. But it's amazing. One day, every, I, now I, fig I figured you start where you're at. So I went to my neighborhood and knocked on every door, all, every house around me, every door, because I was real close to church. Not one of them was lost. They was all saved and on their way to heaven, go to church. Except I had to go home between Sunday school and preaching one day, and their yards were full, and they were out washing their cars and doing stuff on Sunday morning. And then I said, you know what? You're a bunch of liars. They'd become unfruitful. They dropped out of church. So you're in the Bible Belt, and you're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. That doesn't mean you're where God wants you to be. And I'm telling you, what we've done, we've bought it hook, line, and sinker, that we're okay because we go to church. I'm okay, I go to church. But you may not be okay because you go to church. You're okay because you do the will of God for your life. And we've let the world creep in. And our churches are dying by the dozens because we've let the world come into the church. Preachers are afraid to preach against anything, afraid the people will run them off, afraid they won't be able to pay the bills. 
God pity Community Baptist Temple if you put those kind of pressures on your pastor. Amen. That is wicked. I'm going to say it again. I'll be gone after Wednesday, so have at it. That is wicked. I'm going to say it again. That is wicked. Uh, these over here might not have heard me. That is wicked. If this man's trying to preach the word of God, back him, back him, back him. Don't you go home and have fried preaching for lunch on Sunday afternoon with your children. Because all you're doing is signing their death warrant spiritually. I said you're signing their death warrant spiritually. It's hard enough to keep them in church as it is without you signing it early for them. And if they do come to church, they're just a critic when they get here. And they sit back and go, yeah, I wonder what he's wrong on on other things. And no matter what he says, they don't believe him anymore. You've done a good job, sir. You ought to be proud of yourself. You taught your kids not to believe what the Bible says. And I preached it yesterday. Obey those that have the rule over you, who's spoken to you the word of God. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Says to, says to, he says to obey them, submit to them is the first one. And obey them. Salute them. Listen, I, you can get mad at me if you want to. Honestly, there's not a thing I can do about it anyway. I do care, but I don't care enough not to preach the truth. We have gotten in the world, and the world's gotten into us. And what we've done, we let the world creep into the church. Little by little. Just a little bit here and a little bit there. And Satan only wants a little get his nose part of the way in. Look, when he got Eve to fall, he didn't get, all of mankind fell. He didn't get that to happen. He didn't go into him and blast her. Look, it's just a tree. It's good for you. God won't, God's not going to kill you. Well, God didn't kill her on the spot, did he? Just, she just died spiritually. So she did die. And we've let the world, preacher, move its way in. With TV, radio, media, Facebook, all that stuff. I mean, look, I don't have my cell phone on home today. You can go on the cell phone. There's, there's, there's kids in this room that can get on the Internet and go to any website they want to on their phone. If you got a child, a small child, and you're letting them do that, I'm not fussing at you now. I'm warning you. You're asking for trouble. Maybe they shouldn't even have a phone. But if you feel like they need one, you certainly should have some guards where they can't go to places. Look, I, I go on the Internet on my, on my iPad, and advertisements come up. That I get emails. I, I get emails saying, uh, listen to this, jump in. I get emails saying, would you like to have an affair? If you're married, don't have an affair with a, with a person that is single. They don't have that much to lose. Have it with a married person. And we can connect you with a married person who wants to have an affair. Thinking, is this stupid or what? But it's not, they do it. And our kids are being bombarded, 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 bombarded with that kind of stuff. And a lot worse. That day I was going through deleting them and had one uh, uh, 
Brazilian women that you can have call this number. I'm like, are you kidding me? When did that all come into play? I mean, I'm behind the times. I thought if you was going to have an affair, you had to have an effort, make an effort to have one. Now you don't even have to, have to do it. And look, you know what they're saying? These recovery places like RU are saying, National RU and other places, one of the hardest things they're dealing with right now is men. You hear me, men? It's men. Let me say it again. It's men who are doing these phone calls, uh, sexting type stuff over the phone and calling women and letting them give her fantasies and tell them all this junk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's harder to get rid of because how you take it away, it's in their mind, and it's a phone call. It's words. It's just words. It's not a picture. It's words. But they paint a picture when they call you, when you call them. The 1-900 numbers, whatever they are. And we got people in church, deacons, pastors, pastoral staff, teachers who are involved in that kind of garbage and we wonder why the power of God's not available and we wonder why we're not having victory and we wonder why we're unfruitful and we wonder why we don't have the power to blow the fuzz off a peach. I'll tell you why. We've allowed ourselves to be called up in the deceitfulness of sin and our hearts have become hard and cold and we're so stinking worldly and we don't even know we're worldly because we've jumped in foot, uh, hook, line, and sinker and we think we're pretty good. You men ought to run with fear in your heart. I do. And some of these college people went to college like Haley, who's back tonight, and, and others that were around me. You know how I act around the females. And you know how I act around my wife. And, buddy, I, we have guards put up so I don't fall. And I take my iPad, and my wife has access to every site. I've ever gone to and ever go to so she can look and make sure I'm doing what's right. Amen. Some of you fellas want to hide your iPad or you're on your phone and you pull it and see somebody and you shut it down. I lay my phone down and there's no lock on it. She can look at anything she wants to look at at any time. And when I buy stuff, I buy it most of the time with a debit card and it shows where I bought it at. In fact, I talked to her last night, and she said, you went here and here. I said, you're right. She said, what did you get there? And I told her. She said, well, you spent this much money. What did you get there? And I told her. I'm trying to say, I don't have any secrets. I'm trying to say, I don't have any secrets. I'm trying to say, I don't have any secrets. Gentlemen, the best thing you do is have that little gal that you call your wife be the one that keeps you straight. Because, buddy, she'll keep you straight. Instead, what we want to do is we, the, the lust of the flesh. Oh, I mean, it won't be that bad. You know, it's, how many preachers have we known, big-time preachers that have fallen into sin, immorality? Yep. And if you're here tonight and you're a preacher, and God's dear name, you ought, that ought to make you tremble with fear, Amen. knowing that you could be next. Because the devil's not giving up, and he's not quitting. And if you think he, he is, you're in la-la land. But I tell you what, there's some people that need you. Sunday school teacher, there's some kids in that class that need a godly, holy person to teach them that loves Jesus, knows how to get on to God. Bus worker, there's some bus kids. 
that needs a man or a woman or a teenager that knows how to get a hold of God that can help them. And there's a, there are staff members, there are church people in this church that need a staff member that knows how to get a hold of God and it's pure and clean. They're paying your salary. In God's name, you owe it to them to be pure and clean and holy. And you hear me, you owe it to them. You live like the devil, wonder why everything doesn't turn out all right. It won't. It won't. There's a destination, you don't want it. Now, I've, I've, I've preached too long. But let me just say this. There's a story found in the Bible. I'll close with this story. It's a story of, Geh- I call him Gehazi, the servant Elisha. You remember when Gehazi, when Elisha uh, came in the healing, went down, the gentleman went down the water? Well, that's an interesting story. And so, you know, uh, the guy comes, you know, we know who he was, and Naaman comes. And Naaman, of course, is a good man, a great man in his country. Elisha doesn't come out and tell him what to do. And then Elisha comes out and, and tells him, look, go down, or sends a servant out and says, go down and, and dip yourself in the water. And he's upset. I mean, they sent a messenger out. Why didn't he come himself? He would come in seven times in a dirty, filthy Jordan. Why would I do that? And he's rapping and complaining. Some of his fellows, servants, talked him into going and doing what he was told to do, and he did it. And so he returned to the man of God in verse 15 of chapter number 5 of Second Kings. He and all his company came and stood before him, and he said, Behold now, I know that thou art no, no, there's no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Elisha said, No. As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it. Come on, take it, take it, take it. Elisha said, No. Not going to take it. Now I'm paraphrasing, but it is scriptural, right? And the man leaves. But before he leaves, Naaman says, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will therefore henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto God. This thing, the Lord, pardon my, thy servant. In, in this thing, the Lord, pardon thy servant. And when thy master went up to the house of Remnon to worship there, and he leaned on his hand, and bow, bow thyself in the house of Remnon, Remnon uh, when I bowed down myself in the house of Remnon, the Lord pardoned thy servant in this thing. And he said, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Then, verse 20, here's where I'm going to pick it up. And Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my servant has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take some of him. By the way, he had a covetous heart. Lust of the, flesh, of the eyes. He saw it and wanted it. Lust of the eyes. Watch this. And Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running from after him, he lighted down from his chair to meet him, and he says, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My servant has uh, my master sent me saying, Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging on the telephone wire. Your servant did not send you. Your master, I mean, did not send you. And he said, Behold now, even there he came to me, they came to me from Mount Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. And he lied and made up a story. Because, by the way, when you're covetous, it will lead you to being a liar. 
Usually a thief is a liar too. Naaman said, be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags and two chains of garments, laid upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took uh, them from their hand and bestowed them in the house and let the men go. And they departed. And he went and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence cometh thou, Gehazi? He said, Ah, that servant went no whither. I can go anywhere. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Lied again. See how when you lie, you have to lie again to cover your lie? And then you got to lie again to cover that lie. And after a while, you forget which lie you said, and you got to remember which lie. You know, if you just tell the truth, you don't have to worry about it. It's just the truth. It may get me in trouble, but it was the truth. Look what he says. And he said to him, Went not thine heart with thee when the man turned about again the chariot to meet thee? It is, time, is it a time to receive money and receive garments and all the yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and servants and maidservants? It's not. Verse 27. And the leprosy therefore name and shall cleave unto thee and to thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, the leprous white as snow. I want you to notice this. Listen to this thought. His desires, his lust, his desires determine his decision. His decision determined his direction. And his direction determined his destiny. If I want to go back home, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to get on 224, which turns into 76, right? I'm going to take 76 to 71. I'm going to go south on 71. If I go out here and turn north on 71, I'm going to Cleveland. I'm not going to, I'm not going to Columbus. I'm not going to Cincinnati. And I'm not going to take 75 out off of 70, 75 up and, and get back on 71 and go down to Louisville. And that's the way I go home. 71 all the way, go through Louisville. 71 hits 64 west. I'm going to take 64 west. I'm going to go across the, the river into, into Indiana. And I'm going to get off at exit number 118, turn right, go down, turn right, get, it to, get down to red light, turn right again, turn back left, and take that road exactly one mile and one tenth. And my driveway is on the right-hand side. I ain't going to get to there. I'm going to Cleveland. Because my direction determines my destiny. But watch this. My direction determines my destiny, but my decision determines my direction. I'll make a decision which way I'm going. But my decision is going to be determined by my desires. I want to go home. I'm going to go that way. Your desires. That's why Jesus said, set your affections, your desires on things above. Your desires determines your decisions. Your decisions determines your direction. And your direction determines your destiny. What we've done, Satan started with the desires. And he got us wanting things that we don't really need. And we fell in love with the world. And now what we're doing is we're heading in the wrong direction because we made some bad decisions. And one day we're going to end up in the destiny we don't like. Because the world's going to have the final say, not you. And they became unfruitful, no fruit bearing Christians. And all of our churches is a bunch of no fruit bearing Christians who have no fruit of the Spirit, nor the fruit of a Christian. They don't have souls saved, 
and they don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They don't have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, generous, goodness, temperance. Against such there's no. They don't have that. Because they're in the world. I don't know about you, but the world has stolen too many. And he's stealing more. The devil is using the world to destroy our churches and our families. And I don't know what you're going to do about it. I don't know. That's not my decision. It's yours. But I know this. I'd change my desire. I'd say, you know what? I think I want to serve God. I, made a de- I had a desire to be a preacher because God put it in my heart. And as a result of that, I made a decision to go to college. And now here I am after graduating college about, I graduated in 81, January of 81. So how many years ago was that? 34 years ago? Is that right? 34 years later. I'm still doing what God called me to do because I had a desire which led me to, uh, to, in, in, to make a, a decision. And that decision led me in a direction. And that direction has determined my destiny. I'm still here. Am I good? No. Am I a good Christian? No. But I know one thing. I love Jesus and I'm trying. And I know one thing. It's on the Holy Spirit that's going to keep me straight. And I know one thing. I'm going to keep praying every day. And I know one thing, I'm going to keep reading this book. I know one thing, I'm going to still try to keep people out of hell. I know one thing, I'm going to try to love Jesus, and if I love him, I'll keep his commandments. Do I always succeed? No. But I also found a place called the altar. And I make my way to the altar almost every service. Do I not, Brad? You were around me for four years. Do I not make my way to the altar almost every week? You know why I make my way to the altar almost every week? So I can get up and preach and say, I make my way to the altar every week. No. I make my way to that altar because I'm a heathen, that's why. Because I'm a stinking, dirty sinner, that's why. And because I need God. Uh, you, uh, some of you haven't walked an aisle so long. You know, if you got up here, your knees would creak when you started to get down. And that's sad. Because you've lost that desire to serve God, to pour your heart out on the altar and say, Dear God, here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Father, help us tonight. I've gone way too long. I'm so sorry.